Okay, good evening everyone, welcome back. Uh, get back together again another Thursday night. Parsha's Vayetze this week. Vayetze is a big Parsha. Very long Parsha. And a lot going on in Parsha's Vayetze. We continue the uh, the saga, really, that begins in Parsha's Toldos, which kind of goes all the way through the end of Voracious, the Sefer Voracious. But also we're introduced to the clash between Yaakov and Esav, the rivalry, and really the clash of eternity over here. <clears throat> Vying for eternity, Yaakov gets not just the birthright, he gets the brachas that go together with the birthright. He bests Esav, but then he has to flee from Esav's wrath. The beginning of Ayeta, we find Yaakov going to Choron. And it would seem, you know, that if we've been following along and paying attention to the details over here, we can string the whole story together. Yaakov, at the end of last week's parsha, the end of Toldos, finds himself in Be'er Sheva. That's where he was living. That's where Yitzchak and Rivka are living. That's where he receives the brachas. And this week's parsha, he's dispatched. He said to Choron, Rivka tells him, "Go to Choron until Esav calms down." Rivka tells Yitzchak that we're sending Yaakov to Choron to find the shidduch. So if you put all the details together, the end of Toldos, he's in Be'er Sheva, the beginning of Vaiti goes to Choron. All we need to know is where his destination is. And we know where he was before he departs. And yet the parsha begins with the following passage. Vayete Yaakov mi Be'er Sheva, Vayele Chorona. Yaakov departs Be'er Sheva, he leaves Be'er Sheva, and he goes to Choron. And L'chairo, the first half of the Pazig is, is superfluous. Vayete Yaakov mi Be'er Sheva. Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva and Vayele Choron, he goes to Choron. We know he's in Be'er Sheva. We know where he left from. All we need to know is where he's going. Why does the Torah have to tell me he left from Be'er Sheva and he goes to Choron? <clears throat> very straightforward question. A very immediate question. Rashi picks up on this question. Rashi says the Torah, by stressing and emphasizing the fact that he's not only going to Choron, but he's leaving from Be'er Sheva, which we know already, which is obvious, Torah is making a point, is teaching us a lesson. It says Rashi, Lo'yoyet Sarich, this is page 144 in the big blue books over here, big blue chumash, if anyone see it all together, right hand column, three lines down in Rashi, page 144. All the Torah needed to say was, and Yaakov goes to Choron. Why does Torah tell us that he left from Be'er Sheva? Why do I need to know that? Says Rashi, Ella Magid, starts coming to teach us something. She gets see a tzaddik when a malcolm oyser When a tzaddik leaves, it makes an impression. Tzaddik departs, that makes a splash, that makes an impression, that makes a roishim when a tzaddik leaves. In other words, what's Rashi saying? How, how does one need to look at the pasuk and interpret the pasuk? Vayetze Yaakov mi Be'er Sheva. And Sarah's not coming to teach us where his point of departure was. We know he went from, you know, PHL to TLV, or from EWR, to uh, wherever it may be, right? We know where he's going from, we know the point of departure. <clears throat> but it's Vayetze Yaakov, there was a Yitzhiyah. Be'er Sheva felt something. Vayetze Yaakov be'er Sheva. Yaakov's departure shook Be'er Sheva. Something happened to Be'er Sheva, there was a Yitzhiyah. There was a Yitzhiyah. When Yaakov leaves, something happens. Oisa When a tzaddik leaves, <clears throat> that leaves a mark, that makes an impression, that makes a Roshim. Why? When a tzaddik is in, a, is in town, when a tzaddik lives in a city, when he's still present in a city, 
He's the hoid, he's the splendor of that city, he's the light of that city, and he's the beauty of the city, the adornment of that city. When the tzaddik is there, he's the, you know, he's, he's the, 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 the uh, jewel in the crown of the city. Yatamisham, when the tzaddik leaves, panahoida, panaziva, panahadara. The light, the splendor, and the adornment, they leave as well. The vayeta Yaakov. Beersheva suddenly lost its light, lost its beauty, lost its splendor, lost its adornment. So vayeta Yaakov be Beersheva. Wow, Beersheva just missed something, just lost something. So this is what the Torah is coming to teach me. Good, very nice, very nice idea. It's not coming to teach me where he's going from. I know where he's going from. It's coming to teach me that Yitzhiya Tzadik men of Malcolm Isa Roshim. When a Tzadik leaves, that makes an impression. That makes a mark when a Tzadik leaves. The question is, this Rashi's L'chaira bothersome and problematic. Not because of what Rashi says, but because of what Rashi doesn't say. Not because of what the Torah says, according to Rashi, but because of what the Torah doesn't say. There's something missing. How does Rashi present this to us? That when a tzaddik leaves, that makes a roshim. When a tzaddik departs, that makes a roshim. says, Rashi, because when the tzaddik is there, he's the light, he's the splendor, he's the adornment. Hu hoida, hu ziva, hu adara. When he leaves, pana hoida, pana ziva, pana adara. That all leaves with him. Okay, very nice. So I get it. When the tzaddik leaves, that makes a roshim. That makes an impression. That makes a mark. But when the tzaddik is there, that also makes a mark. That also makes an impression. As Rashi says, there's two halves of this idea. When the tzaddik is in the city, he's the light, he's the splendor, he's the adornment, he's the jewel in the crown of the city. When he leaves, the jewel leaves together with him. This Seder. If there's going to be a chazal, a Rashi, a teaching in the Torah, when the tzaddik leaves, it makes an impression, there should be the first half of that summer, that when the tzaddik is in the city, that makes a Rashi. That also makes a Rashi. Right? Do I these go hand in hand? When the tzaddik is a prince in the city, that also makes a roshim, as Rashi says, "Who hoida, who ziva, who adara." How come we don't have a pasuk anywhere that, say, that says, "Vayeshev Yaakov beBeersheva"? Yaakov dwelled in Beersheva, and and Rashi saying, quoting to us the Chazal that says, "Ah, why does he have to stress he's living in Beersheva? We know that where he's living, Teretz is because Yeshiva Tzadik b'Malkam Yisraelim. That the Tzadik living in a place makes an impression, which Chorid obviously does, because that's what Rashi says. When the Tzadik is there, "Who hoida, who ziva, who adara." He's the light, he's the dorm, he's the jewel. And he leaves, that all leaves. Why do we only have a teaching, Chazal pointing this out, when the tzaddik leaves, that that makes an impression. When the tzaddik leaves, that makes a rosh. When the tzaddik leaves, that makes a, a mark. We should have a precursor to this Chazal that, 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 that teaches us that when the tzaddik says that it also makes a mark. It also makes an impression. Something is strange here. So it's lopsided. <clears throat> so there's a couple things going on over here. And there's a very obvious question on, on a well-known Chazal we have to explore this together. Why, Taka, don't we have the first half of this anywhere? When a tzaddik lives in a place, it also makes an impression. So a couple things. First of all, the obvious answer is one of what? One of life. And, and part of life is we really only... Why, why, why did Chazal emphasize when the tzaddik leaves that makes a mark? When he leaves that makes an impression. Teretz says the unfortunate reality is generally we only appreciate what we have after it's gone. Once it leaves. Once it has departed. That's generally the reality of life. We look back and we say, I can't believe, you know, I was in such and such yeshiva, I had access to such and such gedolim tzaddikim, rabbanim, how come I didn't make use of the time then? Only after I left them, or after they left me, give out, how, how, how come I didn't take advantage of that? And that's part of life, is that when we're present in a situation, we take things for granted. We don't take advantage of, 
of 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 the resource. We don't take advantage. You know, they they, they uh, remember that um, was it five years ago? One of the last surviving Talmidim of of um, of um, the Chafetz Chaim. There was someone who had seen the Chafetz Chaim, who had studied by the Chafetz Chaim, who had learned by the Chafetz Chaim. Saw the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim is a Rebbe, and and uh, I think it was about five years ago. He was Nifter. He was Nifter. And this was a yid who was living in in in, um, in uh, New York somewhere, accessible. Anyone could have gone and knocked on his door, sat down with him, and said to him, "Let me hear Torah from the Chavetz Chaim. Let me hear stories about the Chavetz Chaim. What was it like learning by the Chavetz Chaim? How 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 much traffic did he get by his apartment? How many knocks on the door? I don't think he got a lot of them. I think he was he was had had a nice peaceful quiet existence. Nobody was bothering him." Suddenly he's nipped and oh my gosh, one of the one of the last Taminim of the Chavetz Chaim, someone who learned by the Chavetz Chaim, studied by the Chavetz Chaim, saw the saw of the Chavetz Chaim, he was just nifter. Chaval, how come we didn't knock at his door before he was nifter? When we don't have something anymore, that's when it unfortunately makes an impression. That's when it makes a splash. When the tzaddik leaves, and you see the same thing by Moshe Rabbeinu. <clears throat> you know. Klai Yisrael didn't give Moshe their leader the easiest of times, right? They roughed him up a little bit. They gave him 40 years of quetching, of complaining, of, uh, you know, of, of, of not acting the most mature fashion. Moshe Rabbeinu had a hard time. Did not have the easiest time with Klai Yisrael. And Klai Yisrael, you know, gave Moshe a hard time. They gave Moshe run for his money. They're always complaining, always quetching. Maisha, what are you doing? Maisha, what kind of leader are you? Maisha, what's going on over here? <coughs> at the end of, you know, we had this, you know, Simchas Torah, Bracha, at the end of the Torah, Maisha is about to be nifter. The Pasuk says what? That when does Hashem take Maisha Rabbeinu away? Maisha is nifter in the middle of the day. In the middle of the day. High noon, Hashem tells Maisha to go up to Har Nevoi, and there he's going to be nifter. Why is Maisha nifter in the middle of the day? So Rashi brings down, following an astounding medrash, says Rashi, Moshe has to be nifted in the middle of the day. Why? Because Klai Yisrael got up and made a declaration. They said, we're not letting Moshe go. We're not letting Moshe go. Moshe's card has come up. It's time for him to be nifted. We're not letting him go. We're not, we're going to hang on to him. We need Moshe. We love Moshe. How can we get rid of Moshe? How can we let, how can we go into Erzisol without Moshe Rabbeinu? Give out what's going to be with us. We need Moshe. We need him. We need him. We're not going to let him go. Hashem said, I'm going to take him away in the middle of the day. in broad daylight. I'm not going to sneak him out. I'm not going to, you know, make some kind of hocus pocus, some kind of hokey pokey, pull some kind of fast one. No, I'm going to take him in midday and let's see who, if any of you can stop him. No one's going to be able to stop him. And they couldn't stop him. Moshe was nifter in midday. But Kalaisus only has this impassioned, uh, Attitude over here, and and they rise and say, "Moshe, what's going to? How can we let Moshe go? We need you, Moshe. We need you. We, we, we're not letting you go." Kleiso, that Moshe Rabbeinu is unfathomable. Where were you guys for the last forty years? If you love Moshe so much, and you can't, you know, envision yourselves with that Moshe, where were you guys for the last forty years? Terrences. This is the unfortunate reality of life. Is that when the tzaddik is in our presence, he doesn't always make a rishon. The yeshiva of the tzaddik, the tzaddik dwelling amongst us, doesn't always make such a, a, an impression because we take it for granted. We take things for granted. We quetch, we complain, we gripe, and we grumble. 
Suddenly the Tadak's about to leave, whoa, that, that puts things into reality for me. Puts things in a sharp perspective, a sudden, a sudden, a sudden reality check. I'm about to leave, whoa, no, 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 I can't let go of this. How am I gonna get rid of this? How am I gonna let this go? But too late. You see a Tadak men of Malcolm Isaroshim. Unfortunately, sometimes the litmus test of how, some, how meaningful something is to us is when we have to say goodbye. That's when we see how much something is valuable. So that's one immediate approach in this Rashi, which is a beautiful approach. It solves the problem over here. Our question was, if the Tzadik, when he's in the city, who, he's the Hoyt, he's the Hodder, he's the Ziv, he's the splendid, the light, and the dormant of the entire city, when he's there, and when he leaves, it all leaves with him. So why we emphasize the fact that when he leaves, that makes a Roshim, that makes an impression, that makes a mark. When he's there, it also makes an impression. The answer is, we can say quite simply and easily, when he's there, it doesn't make a Roshim, because we take that for granted. It's only when he leaves, that's when it really makes a mark. That's when reality snaps in to focus and and uh, we, we, we are able to appreciate something only once it's, once it's not there anymore. With, with, again, going with that approach, there's a Musr laced in this Chazal, not only when a Tzadik leaves that makes a Roshim, but what Chazal are telling us is appreciate things before it's too late. Hang on to something while you still have and take take stock of your and say, I have this, this, that, and the other. Let me hop around, take advantage of these a resource that I have in my life before it's too late. Before it's too late. There's another approach over here as well. And uh, there's something actually, anyone who was uh, at the Sheva Brachas last night of uh, my son Shlomi, I don't know how many of you were there, but one or two of you perhaps, the one idea that, I, that, that we discussed by the Sheva Brachas, I'll share it over here, because it's a very beautiful idea, beautiful lesson that comes out of this Rashi. Um, so for those who heard it last night by the Sheva Brachas, which is not a lot of you, um, I, I, not a lot of you were present, and I don't know how many of you who were present actually heard it, but mm-hmm. but uh, we'll say it again, because most of you were not by the Sheva, Sheva Brachas, is about three hours from here last night. Okay? The food was pretty good, but if it wouldn't have been my son Sheva Brachas, I don't know if I would have driven three hours for the food last night that we had. You can get you can get uh, food in Lakewood, great food, one, one hour away. But uh, anyway, so that uh, is Summerton also. Summerton also has wonderful, delicious food. Everybody's like, <laughs> you have great food here as well. Look at this delicious chocolate that we have. Um, anyway, anyway, um, there's a half of chocolate. This is chocolate. Uh, this is Parshas Vayetze chocolate. This is what this is this week. Vayetze chocolate. But another idea. Good. Another getting back to the parsha, coming back in over here. Um, if when the tzaddik is in town. He's the hoid, he's the hodder, he's the, he's the light, he's the splendor, he's the adornment, he's the jewel of that city. And yes, when he leaves, that jewel leaves. So why are we only saying when he leaves, that makes an impression, when he's there, it's also making an impression? Terrence like this. A tzaddik's presence makes an impression, and when he's in town, he's the hoid, he's the hodder, he's the ziv, he's the light, he's the beauty. But there's something very sophisticated, subtle, and sublime about the mark, the impression that a tzaddik makes, which is why when he's there, Itaka doesn't make the same impression, the same mark that it makes when he leaves. What does that mean? A true tzaddik, Rabbi Isai, makes an impression in the following way. We're talking about a tzaddik. Not just someone great, someone impressive, someone astounding. We're talking about a tzaddik. A tzaddik we know, the Svarma Kedoshim tell us, the Svarim tell us that the tzaddik is what? Where is the tzaddik? The tzaddik is in the rosh. He's in the head. The tzaddik is always the head. He's the leader. And he's the head in a figurative sense, but he's the head in the literal sense as well. All the neshamas in any generation, and the neshamas in any particular community, can be thought of as neshamas that assemble themselves into, into 
the visage and into the 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 construction of 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 something that that has the human like a form of 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 a, of a, of a, of a, of a, a person physical form meaning everyone has a job everyone has a role and everyone's expectation is to assemble themselves into this great body this great organism in which everyone's role is seamlessly intertwined and integrated with everyone else and some people their role is to be the arms of that great organism some people are the feet some people the torso some people are the nose some people the ears and the tzaddik is the roi she's the head he's in the command center he's the command center that's the job and the role of the tzaddik and the tzaddik has a lot of responsibility but part of his responsibility is to be someone that binds everyone together links everyone together unites everyone together into one seamless functioning Basavadam organism of a, a unit of a community, a countryside, and a a a a, um, uh, a nation, a klal Yisrael, a klal. <clears throat> now, there's another type of great person who doesn't have that property of a tzaddik, who who is not there to bind everyone together, and he's not binding everyone together. He's kind of blinding everyone. You can have a binder or a blinder. What's a blinder? What's someone who blinds everyone? That's the guy, he walks into the room, you're like, wow, that's someone amazing, someone so impressive, someone overwhelming, and, and we're all kind of privileged to be in his presence. But there's no binding effect, there's no uplifting effect, he doesn't connect with me, he doesn't raise me, he doesn't assemble me into something greater and bigger. He's just very awesome, and I'm awestruck, and we're intimidated, and, and kind of humbled, cowed, and overwhelmed in his presence. Kind of blown away. There's like a huge solar flare in the room. A huge supernova, and we're all kind of eclipsed by his light. Everybody got that? The great person, he comes into the room, and, and he just kind of blows everyone away. There's a blinding effect. That's a different type of great person. But that's not someone that we can call a tzaddik. A tzaddik is there to be what? Not just a great person. First, of course, a tzaddik has to be someone great. And of course, a tzaddik has to be someone who radiates light and lichtekeit. But tzaddik yesoid oila. The tzaddik is someone who's the yesoid of the oila. The tzaddik is someone who's foundational, who's a point of assembly, who's a, who's a point that, that, that creates a framework and a scaffolding that everyone else will be assembled into his presence. And everyone else in his presence is raised and uplifted and becomes part of some greater entity and some greater organism. That's what a tzaddik is. So when the tzaddik is here in the room, it's not that you're just blown away by him. Wow, I'm so lucky and privileged to be in the presence of the supernova. I'm part of the tzaddik. And the tzaddik draws me in. And I feel assembled and constructed and woven into something greater. I become a greater me. I become part of something great. I become greater as me. I'm an arm that's connected to a shoulder that's connected to the to the uh, to this bone and to that bone and the ankle, right? Right? That whole shtickle, right? I'm connected to this, which is connected to that, which is, and the tzaddik is the rosh, which is guiding and leading everyone. But look, I became greater. I became more powerful. I became more activated because of the tzaddik. Not that I became smaller. Not that I became blown away. That's the blinding effect. 
Tzaddik is there to create a binding effect. He links, draws, and raises everyone together to become one unit. And in the Tzaddik's presence, so all of us become more of us because we're connected to something that made us greater. That's what a Tzaddik is. Tzaddik Yisoyed Oilam. To the degree that what? Where do we find this the most? Where, where does this really show up that the tzaddik is someone who's able to have that binding effect that he can really bring a whole community together? And he can bring a zebra together. He can bring Klaisel together. He can bring a whole city to greater places. Where do you really see this? You see this the most when he makes the least, Roshim, when he makes the least impression. If when he's present, I'm not really aware even that the tzaddik is making a roshim, that he's making a splash, he's making an impression, that's the greatest sign that he is being effective. Why? Because I feel greater. I feel part of something. I feel connected. I feel drawn into his presence. I feel part of a greater, thriving community. So the roshim is not coming from the tzaddik. The roshim is in me. I feel greater. I feel wonderful. I feel amazing. The tzaddik's not making the roshim. The tzaddik allows me to feel the roshim. Everybody understand? This is what a tzaddik really does. A tzaddik binds. When someone blinds, yes, then I feel the Roshim even when he's there in town. He walks in and I'm like, whoa, we're just blinded, blown away by this person. And, you know, everyone's just lucky to be in the same room as them. Aren't we so lucky? Aren't we so fortunate? Yeah, he made a Roshim. He, he made a very big Roshim. But that's not what a tzaddik does. A tzaddik does something much more subtle significant and sublime in that he makes everyone feel that they're a part now of something great. And they were raised and they were changed. The Rosham shows up in me. I feel it. I feel the Hoid. I feel the Hodr. I feel the Zid. The light, the splendor, and the radiance shows up in me. When the Tzaddik leaves, that's when we feel it. When we feel the Tzaddik's absence. Why? Because now that he left, wow, it's kind of a little bit of a downer. It's a little bit depressing. It's a little bit... Something is missing now because that binding effect that, that, that raised us and brought us up and built us up, that's lacking now. That's missing. That's gone. That's when we feel the Roshim. You'd see a tzaddik in a year, isolation. That's what leaves its mark. That's what makes an impression when he leaves because that binding effect is left with him. And that's exactly what Rashi is saying. That's why there's no chazal that says yeshiva tzaddik ba'ir isolation. That when the tzaddik lives there, that makes an impression because the impression doesn't show up in the tzaddik's presence, the mark, the impression, shows up in me, myself. And that's what the tzaddik truly does. When the tzaddik leaves, that's when the impact is felt, and therefore we have, Vayetze Yaakov Sheva. Yaakov left, the Yitziah made a Roshim. Everybody have beautiful idea. Very, very nice idea. So we have a good question over here that we asked in the Rashi. If the tzaddik's presence is light and splendor and radiance, and when the tzaddik leaves, that leaves. How come Chazal only tell us when the tzaddik leaves that makes an impression? Why not when the tzaddik leaves that makes an impression? So two approaches we have. One, a very simplistic, Alder Chapshat one, which is, unfortunately, life we only realize things once they're, once they're gone, once it's too late. That's when we realize, you know, the resources that we were privileged to have. And that's definitely true. The second idea is, what a tzaddik really does, a tzaddik, you saw it, oil of a tzaddik binds, as opposed to blinds, and the tzaddik, what he's able to do is put everyone together. The tzaddik is the rosh, yes, the tzaddik is the head. But look, when he's here, I'm an arm that's connected to that head. And I'm a leg that's connected to that head. I'm more me. I'm more activated. I'm more empowered. I'm light. I have hoid, hodr, and ziv. I have splendor and radiance. So the Rosham doesn't show up from the time. The Rosham shows up me. When he leaves, I lose that. Very nice. Okay, let's move on. I pick up on some things in the beginning of the parsha. Move on just to examine a couple of things here in the beginning of the parsha. Here we have the following. 
interesting pasuk with an interesting Rashi. Um, couple, couple, two points in the same pasuk. Each one is a little bewildering, and let's pick up on each. I think each one has something nice to teach us. The very next pasuk again, we're page one forty four, one forty five. Pasuk Beis. So Yaakov bumps into the place, the place. Where's the place? That's the Harabais. That's the Temple Mount. Um, he 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 encountered it, and Rashi says, you know, he overshot it. He turned around to come back, and Hashem brought the the Harabais, the Temple Mount, to him as he was coming to it. Good. By Sham, he stayed, spent the night there. Kiva Hashemish because the sun was setting. He took from the stones of that area. He put them around his head. Took stones and put them around his head. And he slept in that place. He slept in that place. So let's look at two aspects of this pasuk. One, the stones, the bit with the stones, and the second bit with him sleeping in that place. So first, Rashi says, He put stones around his head. Why did he put stones around his head, says Rashi. The second to last line in the right-hand column of Rashi on page 144. He made them like a gutter. Made them like a like a gutter, like a little uh, defensive fence blocking thing around his head. Why did he put these stones around his head like a gutter? He's concerned about the wild animals. And we just lost the battery. Usually, I'll tell you guys something. Usually, this computer. About 10 seconds before the power is about to go, a nice little message comes up on the screen and says, your battery is running low. You might want to plug in your PC. That's, I'm, I'm quoting this verbatim. Even computers nowadays have to be very careful how they talk to you. You might want to plug in your PC. They can't tell you, buddy, plug it in or it's going to shut off. They can't tell you that, right? They can't tell you what to do. But they make nice, polite suggestions. Um, this time, they didn't even do that. They just said it just it shut shut off on us. So let's apologies to the Eilam out there in Zoom space. Okay, we're back on the air. Sorry, everybody. Not our fault. Computer's fault. Okay. Anyway, let, 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 let's let's continue. So it says anyway. So you put these stones around his head. Why? Because um, he was concerned about the wild animals. Oh, so Ilya's asking a very good question over here. So he puts stones around his head because he's worried about the wild animals. Oh, so what's going to happen now? These wild animals, these starving bears, lions, hyenas, giraffes, that are going to come and look, they're looking for something to eat, so they're not going to eat his head because his head is surrounded by stones. Okay, but what about the rest of Yaakov? What about the rest of him? He'll eat the rest of him. Okay, so so his head will be okay. His head will be okay the next morning. What about the rest of it? What's going on? The Rashi's a pillow. He's worried about the Chayzrois, the wild animals. So he puts rocks around his head. No, and the rest of Yaakov doesn't need protection. What's the Pashup Shat in this Rashi? So this is a beautiful Rashi, and the Pashup Shat in this Rashi is a beautiful insight into uh, an age-old topic. It is really just a backup, a, a well-known concept, but it's very nice to see a source for this in Rashi. And we all know that in life, you know. Life is all about us making effort. What we call hishtadlis. In life we have to make a hishtadlis, we have to make effort, 
We have to do our our thing, whether it's making efforts to get a job, efforts to get a shidduch, efforts to find a place to live, efforts to get a good chavrusa, efforts in raising my kids, efforts in protecting my 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 um, well-being, my welfare. I have to make an effort. My job is to make a shtadlis. I put in my my own co-payments, so to speak. But we know the way life works is that after we do that, Hashem sends the results. And this is a very famous principle that in Yiddishkeit, the results don't come from my hishtadus. The results come from Shemai. And sometimes it looks like the results came directly from my efforts. I put in a lot of efforts to find a car. Baruch Hashem, I found a good car. I put in a lot of efforts to find a job. Baruch Hashem, the job came directly as a result of my efforts. Sometimes it looks like that. But that's HaKadosh Baruch Hu playing a game with us. Because very often... You know, someone works really hard and puts his resume in, in eight million places and he, he happens to be, what? He happens to be uh, waiting online in the post office and he's schmoozing with somebody and he says to the guy, oh, you can go ahead of me, I have to fill out these envelopes. And the guy says, oh, you know, what are you, what are you here for? He says, oh, I'm sending out envelopes for a resume. Oh, what are you looking to do? I'm looking to hire, I do such and such. Wow, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And boom, a job is made on the spot. These stories like this happen all the time. I didn't put in any effort over there. All my effort went over there. But the answer is, the Revolution requires us to put in effort, and Hashem sends down results. The results and the effort have no intrinsic uh, involvement and, 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 and link from one to the other. There's no bearing directly from my efforts to the results, the payers. The payers, the results come from Shemayim. And, and, and the fact that most of the time it looks like there's a direct link is only HaKadosh Baruch Hu keeping this game going, making it, making it, um, clear that I do have to put in my effort. I can't expect, I can't just go like this, expect jobs and shidduchim and money and careers and houses and happiness to come raining down. I, there's a world where we do have to put in labor and effort. But again, I do my part and HaKadosh Baruch Hu does his part and it's never that I'm generating the results. I'm making myself deserving of results, but the results come from Hashem. I make effort over here, and very often, the results come from somewhere else altogether. And we all know stories like this, where something just came out of nowhere. A shidduch came unexpectedly out of nowhere, a job came unexpectedly out of nowhere, uh, a house came unexpectedly out of nowhere, even though I was busy over there. That's again, the Rebbe just manipulating the system. The less amuna that we have, the axiom always is, the more hishtadlus we have to put in. Because Ishtadlus, effort, is dealing with this world. And the less I believe that God's running the show, the more God decrees. Okay, if you believe I'm not running the show, then who's running the show, says God to us? You must be running the show. The less we believe in God, the more we're believing in, us, in ourselves. And there's always an inverse proportion between our belief in God and the Ishtadlus that we have to put in. An inverse proportion. Meaning, the more I believe in God, the more I believe that God's really running the system, the less I have to do, because the more I understand that, you know, it's just a game, and I just have to do my part, and Hashem does the rest. Okay, Hashem, you're running the system. So, I submitted my Hishtadlus, um, uh proposal to you, and I hope that finds favor in your eyes. Now, please send me the results from wherever you already have them organized and arranged. The less I believe in God, I always have to put in more effort, because... The more I believe in myself, and the more I believe that I'm running the show. And God says to me, okay, you believe you're running the show, goes on to hate. That's Lacharaba. Have a nice life. Go ahead and, 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 and good luck. Best of luck to you. Best of luck to you. 
there's always an inverse proportion between the amount I believe in Hashem and the amount of the, 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 the rather the um, the amount I believe in Hashem and the amount of Ashtas I have to do. Always, always, always. To the degree that if you have total belief in Hashem, do you have to do Ashtas? Of course you have to do Ashtas because no one is able to escape Ashtas. No one can ever say I don't have to make any efforts. Even the biggest tzaddik, the biggest maimon, because in this world there's a system of doing Ashtas. But if you have total, total belief in God, then your Ashtas becomes so nil, so, so approaches the Nothing, it becomes so insignificant that it looks, it can look ridiculous. Because someone look, is looking and, say, and will say, that's a hishtalat, that's effort for a shidduch. I mean, all you did, all you did to, uh, to make hishtalat for, for shidduchim was, um, was, um, your total, you, 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 you know, how many shadchanim did you meet? The guy says zero. How many people did you ask did you ask uh, if they know someone that, 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 that's good for you? Zero. How do you expect to get a shidduch? You didn't meet Shadchanim. You didn't, you didn't put your name on... How many, how many of these dating sites did you put your profile on? Zero. How do you expect to get married? So someone will tell them and will say, well, you know, I expect to get married because I was by such and such, so and so's chasna. And by so and so's chasna, um, uh, there was a table of bachram over there and I sat with the bachram. There was a table of married guys and a table of bachram. I sat with a bachrim, so it was clear that I was making a statement that I'm single. So, so I made a statement that I'm single. Presumably someone will see that, and that I'm, I'm declaring that I'm single, so that I'll get my shuduk now, because I made a declaration that I'm single. So someone with, with 100% amuna can do that. We can't do that, because hopefully our amuna is above the baseline, we're not at 0% amuna, we're not at 1%, but our amuna is somewhere in the middle, so, again, to the degree to which we have emunah, to that degree we have to put in our shtalas. Okay, so you have to meet some shadchanim. You have to send your, your resume out on some, on your profile out on some of these sites. You have to, uh, make some phone calls. It's not gonna, you know, you can't just sit at the, at the bachram table there by the chasna. That's not gonna work. But for someone who has 100% emunah, you can do something that, that doesn't make any sense. Because why? You just have to make episode shtalas. Yaakov Avino has 100% emunah. That Hashem is running the show. 100% Amunah that Hashem is taking care of his welfare. 100% Amunah that Hashem is the one who is in charge, in total charge. Yes, he has to make his shtals, he has to put in efforts to protect himself, but he has to, his efforts are as minimal as possible because he has total Amunah, he, he, his, his effort that he has put in is all the way at the other end of the extreme. So for Yaakov Avinu, his shtals to protect himself from the wild animals is, suffices with just putting stones around his head. For him, that's his ishtalus. I made a ishtalus. So that's good enough. If the animals will come, they'll, they'll see the stones, they'll run away. It doesn't make any sense. If they're hungry, they'll eat the rest of you. For Yaakovinu, if you have 100% emunah, then 1% ishtalus is sufficient. So, so it's, a, it's a known concept that we just explored all together, and it, it come, it, it's beautifully sourced, comes out from what's otherwise a very difficult rashi. As Ilya mentioned, this is Ilya's question. The answer to that is, yes, when you have total faith, total trust in God, of course you still have to play by the game, but ultimately the game is a game. The game is a game. In other words, if there would be a direct connection always between my effort and the results, even Yaakov can't get away with this because there's a direct connection. If I achieve the results, if I'm the one that's getting the results, this is meaningless. But I'm never achieving the results. God sends the results, then I just have to play a game. So for me, this is sufficient to play the rules of the game. Everybody got it? So it's just a symbolic. That's right. Just like the guy who can just sit at the, symbolically at the table of the singles at the, at the chasna for him, that's enough ishtalas to get a shidduch. You have 100% of moon, you can get away with 1% ishtalas. Okay, very nice idea. Now, towards the end of the Rashi, Rashi says, The Yaakovinu slept in that place. So what does Rashi say? 
Famous Rashi over here as well. Now we're two lines down the left-hand column of the Rashi's on page 144. Lash and Yaakov slept in that place. Says Rashi, In that place he slept. For the 14 years that he was preparing for his sojourn in the house of, of Lavan, he was preparing for the long, dark Golis of Lavan, so we know he spent 14 years in, in yeshiva. We know that there's 14 missing years, right? Rashi makes his chesron at the end of Ayetze, that if you calculate all the years from when Yaakov gets the brachas to when he flees from Esav, and he runs away to Charan, and then he comes back, there's 14 years that are missing. Says Rashi, what happened to those 14 years? There's a 14-year gap between um, Yaakov's flight from Be'er Sheva and Yaakov's arrival in the house of Laban. There's 14 years that are missing. In other words, from the end of Toldus of last week's parsha, the beginning of this week's parsha, there's a 14-year gap. Where were those 14 years spent? They were spent in Yeshiva. Yaakov said, I gotta go prepare for the 20 years that I'm gonna be away. I'm gonna go learn in Yeshiva for 14 years. Okay? Torah. He's learning Torah. Our forefathers learned Torah. What Torah was he learning, you want to know? This is before Arsinai? Let's answer that quickly. Millie's asking a fair question. What Torah? I mean, was he was learning Boba Basra? Shadeika Plaza wasn't open yet. Where's he going to get a Boba Basra from, right? Was he learning the Zayar? This is before Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Where's he going to get a Zayar from? Tanya! No Tanya yet, right? What's he, what's he learning? What's he learning? Mishnabrura. That's what Ilya's asking, right? So the others learned Torah. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, they learned Torah. Shev and Aver learned Torah. How did they learn Torah if it wasn't given yet? Where'd they get the Torah from? Hashem gave them Torah? Says, uh, let, let's speak this out. I wasn't planning to speak this out tonight, but let's speak it out. Um, it's coming off of Ilya's time though, okay? So listen carefully, everyone. We know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created this world using Torah as a guideline. We all know that. It's a famous idea. Now that the Torah is a blueprint, something is said over the Torah is a blueprint for the world. It's not a blueprint, but this world is created through the lenses of Torah. Hashem, this world is a projection of Torah. Hashem created this world using Torah as a guide. That means everything in this world is here to be a be, be, be a, a, a um, receptacle for an application of Torah. Why do we have the concept of commerce? Because there's Torah about commerce. Why do we have the concept of, of uh, parents? Because there's Torah about respecting your parents. Why is there a concept of, of uh, familial relations? Because there's Torah over there. Why is there, why is there, why is there a concept of eating? Because there's Torah related to eating. Why is there a concept of birds and beasts, flora and fauna? Because there's Torah about all these things. So anything that's here in reality in existence is there because there's Torah about it. There's some Torah about it. Everybody got that? And when we're learning properly, we know, therefore, how to contend with every situation in life. How do I deal with my business properly? Torah tells me how to do that. How do I deal with my personal relationships properly? Torah tells me how to do that. If the world is created to be a receptacle, a projection of Torah, that means theoretically you can reverse engineer the entire Torah from the Bria also. From the world, from creation, you can reverse engineer Torah too. And that's what the Ovis were able to do. Through their, their 
divine inspiration, they were able to look at the Bria and figure out, ah, if there's this concept, this concept, this concept, this concept, I can extrapolate the Torah that's behind that. That's what they were able to do. Amazing idea. They were able to reverse engineer the Torah by examining creation. So that's what Yaakov learned in Yeshiva Shem Weber. Everybody got that? Okay. Anyway, no, 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 one second, one second, we're running late, okay? I think we allowed you maximum into questions that we can. Before Meir, if there's still time, we'll, we'll get you questions in before Meir. If not, you'll have to wait till after Meir. And if not then, then you'll have to wait till after, after Meir, okay? But anyway, so it says that Yaakov slept in that place. Rashi says there was Lush and Meir. Why? Because the 14 years that he was in Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever, he didn't sleep. He didn't sleep. Shehoyo, he didn't sleep at night. Shalom Isaac because he was learning Torah for 14 years straight. It's a very, it's a very beautiful Rashi, very inspiring Rashi. He wants to be ready for the 20 years that he's going to be in base Lavan. So he's learning Torah straight for 14 years. Here's the first time that he, that he sleeps. For 14 years he didn't sleep. Because he was busy preparing learning Torah. But it doesn't make any sense. Because we know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mission in the Dharm, that no human being can go more than 72 hours without sleep. You want to tell me Yaakov went 14 years without sleep? You can't go 72 hours without sleep. The person makes a note that he's gonna, not going to sleep. For, for more than three days, it's, it's, it's a, um, a shua. He makes a shua. It's, it's a shua's bitui. It's, it's a, it's a, he was, he was, he was, he was, he was, because it's a shua that he can't keep. He can't keep it. And we give him alphas immediately. So how do Yaakov go 14 years without sleeping? You can't sleep for more, if you can't go with more, more than three days without sleep. See, the answer is, it's not really what the Pasuk says, it's not really what Rashi says. Torah doesn't say that Yaakov didn't sleep for those 14 years. And the Pasuk doesn't say that he only slept now. It says Vayishkav. Vayishkav doesn't mean sleep, it means he went down, he lied down to sleep. He laid himself down to sleep. Vayishkav. Shoicha means to lie down. And Rashi also, Rashi doesn't say that for those 14 years he didn't sleep. Rashi says that for those 14 years, Loi shochav balayla, he never laid down at night to go to sleep. Of course he slept. He had to get sleep here and there because you can't survive more than three days straight without sleeping. But Loishachav Balayla says Rashi. For 14 years, he did not lie down at night to go to sleep. Did not lie down to go to sleep at night. What does that mean? 14 years straight, he fell asleep on a shtender. For 14 years straight, he fell asleep on the table. For 14 years straight, he took a chair, he laid down on the chair, and he would sleep on the chairs in the base medrash. That's what he did. For 14 years, he slept on a shtender. For 14 years, he didn't go down to sleep in a bed. For 14 years. And that is humanly possible. Sure. Sure that's possible. He didn't deprive himself and deny himself sleep for 14 years. He just didn't sleep at night. He didn't go lie down. He didn't lie down to sleep in a bed. Okay. The question is then. If he either way was sleeping during those 14 years. So what's this idea that for 14 years he didn't lie down at night to sleep. He didn't sleep in a bed. He was sleeping on a shtender. What's the idea? So two ideas over here. Let's just wrap it up, up with this quickly. Two ideas, beautiful ideas, and ideas that are relevant to us. A, he didn't sleep on a bed because he was preparing for the 20 long years that were going to be ahead of him. He had to make kinyanim. He had to acquire Torah. He had to make, uh, he had to make a kinyan, make sure that he would be in love and garti, v'targmitz shamarti, that he wouldn't lose his Torah. And the Mishnah tells us, kachidarka shal Torah, don't sleep in comfort. You want to make sure, you want to make kinyanim. You want to make kinyanim. You want to acquire Torah, get Torah into your kishkas. You have to be prepared to deny yourself some creature comforts. You have to be prepared to not pamper yourself. Because a person is always pampering himself. 
He's always spoiling himself and always taking care of himself, taking care of his own needs and interests physically, that gets in the way of acquiring Torah. You want to acquire Torah, you have to be a Kli, Kibble. You have to be a receptacle that's, that's able to acquire Torah, able to be kind of Torah. And the more I fill up my Kli with my own pampering and my own needs, my own comforts, the less there's room inside of me for Torah. So, Kachi Darkei Shal Torah, Pas B'Melech Toichel, Mayim B'Meshur Tishtev Al Arts Tishon. You have to be prepared to get away with less and not more, and then you're receptive and a receptacle that's able to receive Torah. So that's what Yaakov is doing. He wants to make sure he's not pampering himself. He wants to make sure he's not only looking after his needs and his his, 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 his physical interests, and that way he remains a kli that's open, ready, and waiting to receive Torah for the 20 years that he's going to be in Lovin's house. But there's another idea also. Why is it that Yaakov for those 14 years doesn't Go back to the dormitory. Yeshiva Shem and Eber for sure had a dorm. They for sure had a dorm. They had a deer over there. They had beds. They had a place to go to sleep at night. The Yaakovinu slept in the base measure for 14 years. He slept on the Shnei for 14 years. Why? The second idea. The second idea is like this. The idea is very, very relevant to each and every one of us. Yaakov again knows that the 20 years is ahead of him. And it's relevant to each and every one of us, not just because we're running out of beds. Not just because we're running out of beds. This is an idea. This idea is relevant for each and every one of us. Um, in the following way. He knows, he's again, he's, he's, he has to get ready for 20 years, but not just 20 years for him to make a, a Kenyan now, to acquire his Torah now, so that it will stick to his ribs for 20 years. He was learning for those 20 years also, right? He was learning by base love and also for 20 years. When he was watching the sheep at night, through the frost and at the day, through the heat, he was chazering, he was learning the whole time. And that's exactly what he tells Esav, next week's Pasha with pride, Im love and garti v'tarik mitzvah shamarti. In love and for 20 years, I was chazering. Taig Mr. Shamarti. I was reviewing the whole time. I was reviewing my learning. The learning that I got for the 14 years in Shem Ve'ever, I was reviewing that for 20 years in love and test. In love employ. See, he was chazering the whole time. And he knew that he was going to have to chazer under arduous conditions and very compromising circumstances during those 20 years. Crazy conditions he was going to have to learn. Yaakov has to train himself how to learn under the craziest conditions possible. Yaakov has to train himself how to learn, even when he's stuck in the in the heat of the day with the sheep, he's up at night with the sheep, and, and, and by frost, he has to be able to learn by frost and by fire. He has to be able to learn under all circumstances and situations. And Rabbi Isai, when we have an attitude of which, yeah, that I, I, I can learn. I'll come learn with my Chavrusa, I'll come to this program, I'll come to the Shear, as long as it's within my comfort zone. As long as they have a great challenge. As long as they're going to have bagels, as long as they're going to have fresh brewed coffee, then, ah, I'm going to sit and learn. But if I walk in, I see they ran out of coffee, the carafe is empty. Or, someone took the last bagel. Or, what usually happens, someone took the last five bagels. Right? It's usually like that. Someone took the last five bagels and a whole stack of locks and a whole thing of cream cheese. I walk in, you expect me to learn? I'm going to learn like this without a bagel and cream cheese and locks? Without a fresh coffee? When we need to be in our comfort zones to learn, you know, I can only learn when the base message is very quiet. I can only learn when the base message is very loud. I can only learn when it's exactly 67 degrees in the room. Oh, oh it's, it's too hot. I can't learn in here. Too cold. I can't learn in here. Forget it. We're, 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 we're lost. We're never going to learn anything in life. Because how often do we have everything exactly to a T within our comfort zone? We're not going to get anywhere. 
godless greatness, we're not even going to achieve mediocrity. Yaakov knows that for 20 years he's going to have to learn under the craziest situations, craziest circumstances possible. He needs to train himself to be able to do that. He trains himself to not be and need any comfort zone. He sleeps for 14 years straight at a shtender. He denies himself those basic comforts to train himself to be able to learn under all circumstances and situations possible. So important for us, Rabbi Say. So, so, so important for us. We can't be sticklers to our comforts and our, and, and our, our, our needs. We have to be able to learn, even when they do run out of coffee. Okay, maybe find the guy who knows how to make the coffee. I don't know if you can learn without coffee. But we have to be able to learn without the bagel, and learn without the chal, and learn when it's a little hot, and when it's a little cold. And if we can do that, we can learn under all circumstances. We can learn until 120, and grow and steig, and each and every one of us achieve greatness in our own rights. And have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you all for joining everyone.